Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. That's, that's good. It's good. Um, I'm going to put that there. Um, hey, we're continuing our, our series in uh, trusting the Lord, trusting God, um, focusing on the proverb that we kind of circle back to each and every week. Trust in the Lord with... And do not... Oh, it's so good. And what will he do? You guys are... It's, it's your energetic... <laughs> a woo for man camp, but when you've got to recite the Bible... <sighs> no, that's mean. Hey, um... So this proverb, this proverb sets up a point and it sets up a counterpoint. A thing to do and a thing to avoid. To, with, with all of our heart, we are directed to trust. And the object of our trust is God. But the question is, is he trustworthy? What evidence is there that your trust is well placed? Is it just a fool's errand or is it, or is it a good and, and wonderful thing? Um, I want to tell you a little story where... where um, uh, I've uh, moved house over 35-something, I've lost count, uh, times in my life. So I've had a, a lot of next-door neighbours, um, some good, some bad. Sometimes I've been the bad neighbour. Uh, maybe that's why I moved so much, you know, but, you know who's to tell? Uh, but about, out of all the places that I lived, the most unusual was probably about 15 or so years ago um, in a suburb not far from here, where I lived next door to a, uh, let's call it, um, an illegal massage parlour, if you follow me. Uh, And I thought this was a nice suburb. And I didn't know until after I was renting in the flat about what was what was also going on in the in the block of flats. And in hindsight, there there were signs, not like actual signage, but but signs that one of these flats was not like the other. One of those flats didn't belong. And apparently some people had heard about this very reputable establishment, but not accurately enough to know its location. And this one night, around about 9 or 10 o'clock, a dude rocked up to my flat. And, and the door was open because it was the middle of summer and I didn't have uh, air con or anything. And uh, I had a friend over and whatever, and we were just hanging out so he can corroborate this story. And, um, I heard this knock at the door and, and I walked over and there was this man looking kind of shifty and pretty uncomfortable. And he said to me, is this the place? And I was a bit surprised and kind of taken back and a bit stupid. And I, was, and I said something like, no, mate, what are, who are you looking for? Thinking maybe he was heading to a friend's place and sort of mixed up the, the numbers or something. But no, now I realize I know what he was looking for. It was next door. Um, and he didn't stick around to continue his search because he, he, when I said no, he, he turned around and he sprinted down the street. It's practically 500 meters of, of dead straight street. I watched him run. Because I walked out, I was like, what the heck just, just happened? And then he turned the corner, and as far as I could tell, he kept running. <laughs> Certainly the kind of trustworthy man that you know, I would trust with my phone passcode and banking details. It's, it's, he's not a trustworthy dude. But the thing is, is God like that? Does he rock up to your door and say, trust me? without any sort of reason or any, or any evidence as to why. You know, I've heard God promises a lot of things. Do those promises hold any water? So, you know, where, where, am, I, where am I looking to put my trust? Where do I put my life into? Do I, do I, what do I let it rest in? 
Do I know that he is trustworthy? And like we've done a few times in this series, if you've got a Bible, please turn with me to Romans. We're going to be in the book of Romans in the New Testament. We're going to be reading from chapter 4. It won't be up on, uh, on the screen in full or whatever. We will step through it, uh, but we'll just read it uh, to start with and then continue on. So Romans chapter 4, verse 13. Uh, Paul is talking about this. He says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is not the adherents of the law who are, the, who are to be heirs. Faith is Null and the promise is void, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promised may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God, of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, who calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver, concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. And we ask as we unpack uh, this passage in Romans and this story of Abraham and look at the evidences of your trustworthiness, Lord, may you speak to us. May you reveal yourself to us. May we know more of your character today. May it please you to speak to your people as we earnestly seek your face. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, Last week, Jackson unpacked for us the great truths of adoption, assurance, sonship, uh, and being an heir with Christ by God's working. This week, uh, we're looking at where Paul teaches how these things came to be. And we're coming in halfway through Paul's sort of monologue of what he's trying to get at is how does one access these promises of God? What What does it rely on? The promise of God to Abraham thousands of years ago doesn't count on uh, or doesn't come through the law, but by faith. Keeping the law, making yourself holy, doing, you know, wearing your Sunday best, swearing a little bit less, giving to charity, doesn't give us any access to that inheritance. The law cannot produce the promise. In fact, it only makes, you know, just a great big red marker around my sin and your sin, and it points out and it says, this is where he fell short, and here, and here, and here, and on, and on it goes. The promise of God rests and depends on faith. In order that the promise may be, may be through grace, it may be guaranteed. And, and what a wondrous relief that my salvation 
does not depend on my ability or my performance. It is guaranteed not on what I do, but on what Christ has done. It is utterly and entirely and completely on God's shoulders to bring about God's promise. Because God is trustworthy and no one and nothing else has the kind of track record that God has. It was guaranteed by God. It was secured by Christ to all who would be children of Abraham through the sharing of the same faith, Paul says. This guarantee was promised by God. And Abraham believed the Lord who calls into existence the things that do not exist. And Abraham contributed nothing to this. Absolutely nothing. Except faith. Except trust. That God can and will do what he promises. And it's because God being fully able to fulfill his promise that Abraham's faith was unwavering. It's because God has seen him through before. He has come this far and he knows without a doubt that God will see him through to the end. And that his promises will be fulfilled. Trusting the Lord with all of our heart and not leaning on our own understanding. It doesn't mean we blindly and gullibly believe without a shred of evidence. God is the one in whom our faith rests. He is the evidence. Faith in God is the exercise of trust in God. His character has been revealed to us over thousands of years of fulfilling promises again and again and again. And because of this exercise of trust in God, this is the faith that never fails because God never fails. But how did, how did Abraham do it? How can, we, how can we share a faith like his? Well, for that, it's worth detouring back to uh, Genesis where it all began. So if you've got your Bible, you can flick back with me to Genesis 15. And we read the bit, uh, well, before we read the bit that Paul talks about in Romans, we need to kind of set the stage a little bit. Prior to this chapter, God had called Abraham, or Abram, as he, was, he was known then, at the age of 75, going out from a nice retirement village to go follow God to a land where he's going to show Abram. And Abraham had no idea where he was going, but he trusted God's promises and he followed and he walked by faith. He lived that trust out. Otherwise known by a very fancy technical term, obedience. is trust in action. And in Canaan, God promised Abram the land and many descendants and he, and he went through the land of Canaan. And they never actually saw the realization of this, this promise. They never settled down. They never retired there. Instead, they traveled to Egypt. And out of fear of Pharaoh, if you know the story, Abraham tried to pass off his wife as his sister. Except God intervened because the promises of God will not be broken by the fear of man. So God got involved. And then they traveled back to Canaan. And because his nephew was living in the city of Sodom, they got caught up in a battle of kings. Four kings versus five kings. It was a little bit like one gang versus another gang with you know, gold crowns instead of gold teeth. Maybe they had gold teeth. I don't know. I don't know how dentistry was like back then. But it was literally a turf war. Abraham wasn't involved, but Lot was captured up in this. He was taken because the two kings on the losing side were kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot became plunder. And Abraham found out and he led kind of like a Saving Private Ryan sort of conquest to get his nephew back, but, but only with a couple of hundred men. Against armies, plural, kings, four kings, who had a reputation not only of beating the five kings, 
but they were also mighty in their deeds. They've battled and defeated literal giants, the, the, the Rephaim, who were as tall as the ancestors of Goliath. They were an unstoppable force. And against this gang, Abraham led this night con- conquest with just over 300 men and utterly crushed this army, this group of armies. And get this, all of this took place when he, he was roughly in his late 80s, which meant he now qualified to be a president of a country I won't name, except he didn't send, sit back and send others to war. He, he went in. He didn't hesitate. Up against all the odds, he went to battle with this army that was far greater than his. This is how the church would take on the world, with his bold confidence in the gospel. Regardless of how insurmountable the task looks, faith that, that drives this kind of confident advancement, it was so much that Abraham's little, little band of brothers, they trekked 250 kilometers from where they were in hot pursuit of the, the, these kings up until Dan, or the town of Dan, until finally they, they battled and they waged war and they ran them down as they fled across another 60 kilometers. Liam Neeson in Taken, he's got nothing on Abraham, right? I don't know if I'd be capable of this kind of feat in, in a couple of years, let alone in my 80s. It's full on. But this kind of walking by faith, this grew Abraham's faith. And it was faith that was just anchored in the faithfulness of God. And the faithfulness of God in the past, this faith then shapes the future because it extends deep roots And it strengthens and grows. It takes direct action. The faith that is lived out with a solid confidence that God who is mighty can and does save. It is the object of faith that makes all the difference. And the object of our faith is the God of heaven and earth. The Lord Almighty trust in God must direct our actions and our reactions not because of our magnitude of faith, but because of the magnitude of the God that we have faith in. And in this way, Abraham trusted God's deliverance and power, and he he laid the smack down on these kings, and the defeat was so resounding that that, uh, the the losing gang on his his way back home, the king of Sodom came out and met him and tried to placate him with the plunder of of Sodom, which was a big deal. It was a lot of of cash, so a rich, rich town. And Abraham flat out refused to take anything from him. Not a, not a single thread or a sandal strap, he says. It's a bit of a flat out no, kind of slap in the face. I will not take anything that's yours. Because he was wholly reliant upon God. He would not take anything from this king who had a, had a reputation for, for wicked rebellion against God. And besides, what could this king give him that he didn't already possess by God's hand? Now, this is the the deceit of of sin, the lies of Satan that kind of comes in. It's behind every sort of foolish, sinful action that we take. You know, take the plunder. You deserve it, but give me the people. That's what the king says to him. And Abraham, Abraham didn't fight for the plunder. He fought for his nephew. He went to rescue people. That was the very thing that drove him to battle. But the the temptation just to take a little bit more, it's certainly enticing. Didn't Abraham earn it, like after a feat like that? And this is the moment that puts to test sort of Abraham's steadfastness to his oath, which we only learn about after the fact. He doesn't, he doesn't tell us about this oath that he made earlier. 
And in this same valley, he'd just been greeted by King Melchizedek, if you know that name. He's a big deal in, in the book of Hebrews, the priest of the Most High God, who in that very place just came out to meet Abraham. And it, it, it's, it's hard to tell, but probably all the, kings were, the two kings were together in that place. And, and King Melchizedek says this, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. That was the truth. 80-plus-year-olds don't win against those kind of odds. I don't care how sprightly you can climb, you know, like stairs up a plane. Those kings had a reputation for for felling giants. It was so clear. The victory was God's. And in this defining moment, it's not really about Abraham keeping his oath, but acting on the truth of what God has already done. He would not take credit for God's victory. That's what's at stake here. That's the temptation that kind of lies in, in, in wait. Abraham would not accept a reward from this king of the earth and break his oath to the Lord who gave him victory. And then God speaks to Abraham in, in Genesis 15. Right after these things all happen, he says this, Fear not, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great which can also be translated, I am your shield and your great reward. Now for Abraham, the the one thing that God had promised him and and what he truly wanted, the king of Sodom couldn't give him. It didn't matter how much cash he threw at his feet. Life through a son was God's domain. That was God's promise. God had promised multiple times to give him offspring that numbered more than the sands or the dust of the earth. And you can see Abraham's lament and his genuine heartache out of his waiting for this promise and this continuing, he says, childlessness. This ongoing pain that is there, especially since he's been given these explicit promises again and again and again. And from questioning, he then says to the Lord, he accuses God, you have given me no offspring. What will you give me? Where is the fulfillment of your promise? It has been years that you have been promising and promising and I have prayed for it and nothing. No child. I I could have died in the battle at Damascus and all I've lived for would go to a man from Damascus who is not my heir. And this isn't like a rash outburst of, of, of anger from Abraham. It is an honest heartache. He has waited. And it is the most awful thing when we think God can't handle the honesty of our hearts. The truth is, he already knows it. And Abraham's dismay and his despair and his discouragement, God takes him outside and he gives him then another reassurance and another promise. God doesn't say to Abraham, didn't you you listen the first time I told you? What's wrong with you? No, the God who has numbered and named every single star of the sky, the God who can count the stars of the sky, he meets Abraham where he's at and he says, number the stars if you can. That's how big your family will be. Innumerous, beyond counting. 
Now, I love to, to sort of go outside, get under the stars, away from light pollution and, and out west and, and all that, because it reminds me of how small and insignificant I am and how big God is. And yet at the same time, I, I, I just kind of I, I try to grasp this immeasurably greatness of his love for me who is on this tiny speck of a planet in this massive universe with an even bigger God. And he is concerned for me. It's crazy. And the most beautiful verse then comes for us in this moment here in verse 6. It's another sort of high stakes moment with far-reaching impacts. God promised and Abraham believed the Lord. And God credited his faith to him as righteousness. His response of belief in God's word, trust in God's word, not knowing the how or the when or, or all the other details of how this thing's going to happen. It's the, just the believing. That's the works. That's the only thing that counts as righteousness. In fact, that believing is what makes him righteous by God's accounting. And the text doesn't say from before he wasn't believing and then, you know, suddenly out of the blue, he is just he believing and he's had faith. He didn't start believing here. Just as if it was in a vacuum. It's that Abraham responded to God's promise with belief in this moment when the only thing he had to hold on to was the word of God. And yet that is all we ever need. Because it is more sure than anything else in all existence. God promised crazy, impossible, wonderful things. And to Abram's credit, he believed. And in so doing, he laid the framework for the gospel of grace. Abraham was in a crisis moment. He needed encouragement and God gave it to him through his word. And this life-changing, world-altering moment happened. He believed God. And because he believed God... Paul talks about it as being then applied to us. And we have this very same opportunity in our crisis moments when we are most discouraged, when we're most worn out, when, we, when we're exhausted and simply don't feel like we can continue on believing for another moment, that we can believe God, that we can hear His words, and we can believe Him. We can trust Him. And we can do this in those crisis moments just as much as we can do it in the regular day-to-day -day moments. We have the very same opportunity to hear God's word and to believe him. And so whatever it looks like is going on in your life, you can trust God. He will bring about what he said he will do, like he has countless times before. You get a measure for the character of a person that you are placing your trust in by examining how they have behaved and the evidence of who they are. And God has given us thousands of years for the evidence of his faithfulness, bringing promises to reality across generations with all the appearances that all the odds are stacked against the fulfillment of his promises that they're just not going to happen. But he says, trust me and wait on the Lord. Because his promises are not at all delayed. You can count on them as if they already are here. But was it fulfilled? Was it fulfilled? Was the promise fulfilled, really? 
How can I, how can I share this kind of faith like Abraham? Because it seems so unattainable. Except it's not. Because it is not the size, it is not the magnitude of your faith, your ability to produce it. It's the object of your faith. And our God is huge. The roots of Abraham's heroic faith, they were dug down deep so that no storm would blow him over. And the essence of Abraham's faith is what Paul tells us he was fully convinced that God was able to do what God had promised. Are you fully convinced in God's power to bring about what God promises? Because if you are, then you share the faith of Abraham. And on account of that faith, Paul unpacks into Romans 5, we receive peace with God, access to God, a sure and firm foundation to grace to stand upon, an unshakable hope in the glory of God through, through trouble and distress and heartache. God encouraged, God strengthened, God watered the roots of Abraham's faith so that it grew into a hope that he believed against hope. And so just as he was told by God, he believed it would be so. And so often it is suffering and difficulty and hardship that refine and clarify faith because they melt away all the distractions and the other things that we've been trusting in. And it reveals to us how futile those things are to hold up, how unworthy they are to place our trust If you are in a time of distress, then let it drive you into the arms of God because there is no better place for you to be. He is the one you can lean on, not your own understanding. And God declared through Paul in in Galatians 3, in another letter, that it is those who are of faith. This is how big this story is. They are the sons of Abraham. Who are blessed along with Abraham through him, God preached the gospel to him so that we might receive salvation. It's incredible. The gospel was preached in that moment, in that promise. And if you've been trusting in yourself alone and you're continuing onwards, you're only doing it so far in the mercy of God, but that mercy will run out. And Christ has promised that judgment follows. Don't place your trust in empty things because they will not stand on the day of Christ's return. To rely upon anything other than the work of Christ is to rely upon yourself and the law. And to to, to rely upon the law is to remain under the curse because you cannot fulfill what the law requires. You never can. You never will. And you and I were born as sinners by nature and by choice. We cannot endure the wrath the law rightly and justly brings against our sins. But the free gift of God is this. Being justified by faith alone. Meaning all of your sin has been imputed onto Christ. And all of Christ's righteousness is counted to you who trust in the Lord with all your heart. That is what it means to have your your path made straight because it is to walk the way of truth and holiness and godliness. 
You don't need to remain under the burden of the curse any longer. Today can be the day of your salvation. Christ invites you into his saving grace. Will you receive it by grace through faith alone, nothing else? One commentator said it well about this. He said, faith is helplessness, reaching out in total dependence upon God. The promise remains an act of grace. We do not earn the promise. We receive it. And whatever what we receive, it rests completely on what God has done. If the promise of God was held up by our obedience to the law, well, that's about as hopeless as those school science projects where you try and get a bowling ball to cross a bridge made of spaghetti. Except the bowling ball is the planet Jupiter and the spaghetti's on fire. It's an F. It's a big fail. It's not happening. It's impossible. We cannot achieve what, what God offers us freely in the gospel. It comes by faith. Justification by faith alone. And depth of substance that is sourced in faith. It's not an, out, an external outside kind of change that comes in. Simple behavioral modification is not evidence of Christianity. Changing your behavior does not produce what is required. But the gospel at work in that inward change, that overflows to this joyful response of obedience, of transformation, of a new person. Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. He redeemed us. He exchanged his place of righteousness with our place of wrath so that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, which is us. Through Christ, God made Jesus, who who knew no sin, to become sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God. He redeemed us by becoming that curse. What love it is that he would go through for you and I, me of all people, so that we can have right standing before God. Innocence, blamelessness. And if you share faith with Abraham, that that blessing of Abraham comes to you. This, this receiving of the promise of the Spirit making us one with God as children and, and, and heirs with Christ. And Jackson unpacked this for us. It is an incredible gift of truth that, that flows out of the work of Christ and the promise to Abraham. This is how all of that adoption and sonship becomes yours to possess by faith. Because God promised to Abraham And God fulfills his promises. And faith in God, it includes faith in his timing. It includes trust that God knows better than you do, which is what uh, Pastor Matt unpacked for us a few weeks ago. It includes faith in his power. It includes faith in his faithfulness. And promises that God made to Abraham, they were far, far off beyond his lifetime and that of his son Isaac. And yet Abraham believed God. Abraham had faith in God. And because he trusted that when God speaks something, it will come into existence. And if you are in Christ, then you are living proof of the fulfillment of that promise. You are one of the multitude of the stars in the sky that cannot be counted. 
You are one of the children of Abraham. And we understand even more greatly, you are an heir with Christ. Don't just take my word for it. You know, search, taste and see the Lord is good. Search his, his promises. Go through it. Thousands of years. Look at all the impossible scenarios where it's just never going to happen. And yet God always comes through. We're in an age of confusion and chaos. Election promises are broken left, right and center. Things people said on Twitter, they come back to haunt them like, like from a decade ago and they get cancelled. You can't trust the, the, the weather guys. Who is trustworthy anymore? Who, where do we turn for, for, for truth? And our, our confused world, it needs clarity. It needs the clarity of God's truth where his word cuts through with resounding certainty and assuredness and, and hope. And I hope that God who made good on his word will continue to do so. And Paul declares what was written was not only written for Abraham's sake, but for ours. This is the sweetest of truths. Let these words be engraved upon your heart because they're trustworthy. The words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus from the dead, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. What kind of being promises something that is written in stone, that is objectively freely available to be opened and read and scrutinized and studied hundreds and thousands of years into the future if he was not absolutely sure of his unstoppable plan to secure his promise in Christ, despite all the billions of attempts of Satan over the years and sinful man to undermine and destroy and crush and, and take aside his promises, to halt God being faithful to his word, to throw shade on his character. Through conquests and sinful rebellion and crushing defeats and exiles and rejection and corruption and unbelief. And yet, Christ came. God proved he is able to do what he promises. Abraham's faith was well-placed. Now, sometimes there are good reasons not to trust someone, like if they rock up at your door and ask uh, for a massage. But if, have you had that friend that's at a camp, stuffs his dirty sock in your mouth while you're sleeping? Or, or, or gives you a really nice-looking brownie and promises it's delicious and it turns out to be a puck of used coffee? It's a true story. <laughs> Is it just me? Are my friends? <laughs> Not very wise. I need to go back to Proverbs. Back when I didn't have a car, I was hanging out with... with I'm not trying to throw shade on my mates, but I was hanging out with, with, at Hungry Jack's with some friends on Friday nights, as we did, and sort of halfway through the meal or so, I had to, I had to duck off because I drank too much Pepsi, and when I came back out, all my friends had gone. So I went outside expecting, you know, like they were going to be in their cars just kind of hanging out waiting for me. They were actually in their cars. And they waited for me to come outside to see them and to walk up and try and open the door to get it. If you remember the Wonder Years, they did exactly that. The doors were locked and then they slowly drove past me and out of the car park and down the road. I was sitting there for about 15 minutes. My house was like 30 k away. 
And when they finished laughing and came back to, to get me, you know, it just, it just kind of happened. It happened once, but it scarred me for life. <laughs> We're still friends like 20-something years later. But, but my faith has wavered enough that it made me think twice about you know, the timing of my toilet trips if I'm ever, ever relying on someone else for a lift. Because faith directs how we live. Whether we trust the bus driver who thinks he's a Formula One driver going through the back streets of Brisbane and rightly or wrongly we stay on the bus or we, we jump off as soon as we can. Whether we trust the brakes in our cars or, or the seat which you are currently placing your full weight into. Some churches have some very old seating. These ones are steel. They should be okay. Yep, it's all good. Uh, but, you know, whether, you, whether, you, whether your children even trust that you're actually going to build that cubby house that you promised. Sorry. Um, faith has this sort of physical, incarnational outworking. It shapes our thoughts and our actions and our words. And God holds himself to his own account because there is none higher to swear an oath by. He swears it by himself. And if he were not truthful, if he were not able to fulfill his promises, then he would be a liar and a fraud and a God not worthy of trust. Just as faith was credited to Abraham so that in God's sight he was imputed with the righteousness of Christ before the fulfillment of the promise. As certain as God's promises was applied to Abraham that we have now received. It will be counted to us. This group of misfits that has nothing to offer God in return but thankfulness and faith. And these words in, in Genesis all the way through to Romans, they span over 2,000 years. They're, they were written for your sake. God wrote them for you. That you would be encouraged that he makes certain his promises. And this moment, like the moment of Abraham, that's, that's, this is the opportunity to act on that faith, on that trust, and believe God, whether it's for the thousandth time, well, this is your first time ever hearing it. It's your first opportunity you've ever experienced anyone say, hey, you can trust God. Maker of heaven and earth cares about you. He loves you so much he would die for you. From human perspective, it makes absolutely no sense at all. But from, from the perspective of God, that's the reality of trusting it is the more sure than anything else if we trust in ourselves it's just like an ant clinging to a leaf in the middle of an ocean hurricane hoping the leaf's going to stop him from drowning but if we trust in god he is the surest firmest foundation unmoved by the storms by the difficulties that rally against us it doesn't matter what sin or satan throws at us god's word will never be undone but if Satan could convince you to alter your trust in the certainty of God, he will throw everything he can at you. But we fight this with the exercise of faith, knowing that victory is the Lord's and it can be ours in Christ. All the outworking of trusting in God with all of your hearts. When it's crunch time in that place, it doesn't matter what the world or the enemy can throw at us. The truth is you can count your life 
on the fact that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. No one can snatch sheep, his sheep, his people from his mighty hand. No one can fight against God and win. Give glory to God, no matter your circumstances, and your faith will grow. So when the rubber hits the road, and the way that you live answers this question, how does it come out? Do you trust God can raise the dead? Do you trust that your faith will be counted as righteousness, as the Lord has said it would be? Are you fully convinced that God is able to do what he has promised? That's the faith of Abraham that we share in. And that trust should give you such great reassurance you can confidently go out into the world and share the gospel with the worst of sinners and see the victory of God at work. That trust should alter your fight with sin because the victory and power of God is given to you by his spirit. That trust should make certain our footing as we walk by faith, even in our doubts, even when we say, I believe, help my unbelief, with our eyes fixed on Jesus and the certainty of his return. Abraham's faith can be your faith, not because of your power to exercise faith, but on account of God on whom your faith rests. And if you're a Christian whose faith is in Christ, you are fully convinced that God can do what he promises, that it's all on him, then you share Abraham's faith. So trust him. Trust him. Trust him when everything else just doesn't make sense. Trust him not with blind belief, but eyes wide open at his unchanging, proven character. The only one with the strength to hold you up when you lean all of your weight upon him. Trust him with all your heart. He will make your path straight. And let your trust in the Lord fundamentally alter the way that you live each and every day. Because you can bet your life on the certainty and the truth of his word. He is trustworthy. He is good. He has made many, many promises to you. Every single one will be fulfilled and is already fulfilled in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for your unchanging character. We thank you that you are good. And Father, as we, as we question, as we're in chaos, as we struggle, as we doubt, as we are anxious and discouraged, Lord, may we cry, I believe, help my unbelief. May we not waver like Abraham, but continue to hold on to your ability, your power to finish what you started, your strength to do what you say you would do. Lord, may we be released from the burden of trying to make ourselves right with God. And know that in Christ, is already done. We receive that by faith. We rejoice in the wonderful promise of the gospel by faith. That we receive with thanksgiving, with glory, with praise, with honor up to you. God, would our faith 
directs the future. And when we continue to see the fulfillment of your promises, as you continue to grow the stars, the children of Abraham, Lord, help us to take part in that, to share the gospel with others, to see many more saved until the return of Jesus, to see many more children of the promise. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight. In your name we pray. Amen.